0: Data science and machine learning are affecting more of our lives every day. Decisions based on data science and machine learning are heavily dependent on the quality of the data and the quality of the data pipeline. Some of the software in the pipeline can be tested to some extent with traditional testing tools like PyTest. But what about the data? The data entering the pipeline at various stages along the pipeline should also be validated. That's where pipeline tests come in. Pipeline tests are applied to the data. Pipeline tests help you guard against upstream data changes and monitor data quality. Abe Gong and Superconductive are building an open-source project called Great Expectations. It's a tool to help you build pipeline tests. This is quite an interesting idea, and I hope it gains traction and takes off. Thank you to Regan for sponsoring this episode. Also, thank you to Patreon supporters. <laughs> Welcome to Testing Code, a podcast about software development, software testing, and Python. On today's Testing Code, I am super excited to have Abe Gong on the show. He's got a company called Superconductive. Abe, welcome. We're going to talk about great expectations and your company and what you're up to. But first, before we get into that, can you introduce who you are?
1: Yeah. Um, so I'm Abe Gong. I have been a data scientist slash data engineer for the last, call it eight years. Uh, before that, I was in grad school and doing kind of the same thing on the side. Uh, it, it was fun in 2011 when we started calling it data science, because there was this name for this thing that I did. So I love data. Uh, I, I'm especially uh, interested in human-centric data, so healthcare, education, places where uh, rows in your database are people and by understanding them better you can actually help people. Okay, and
0: now Superconductive is your
1: company, right? That's right, we've been doing healthcare data consulting for the last couple years, um, and our goal was always to come up with a product out of that. Uh, We think Great Expectations might be that product, uh, and the twist is I had never really thought about doing an open-source go-to-market, and here we are, right? using Great Expectations as an open source project to try and kind of find where a future uh, paid product could come from.
0: Okay. Well, let, let's just jump right in. Great Expectations is the super cool tool,
1: but what is it and what is why do people need it? Good question. So the problem we're solving is pipeline debt. Uh, and that's technical debt that grows in data pipelines. And I, I think the simplest way to say it is, If you were working on an API and you released it out in the public and you said, hey, I've got this great API, but there's no documentation and it's not tested and it's not stable, like the the API is going to give different results at some point in the future, but I don't know when or how or why, we would all look at that and say, that's just unacceptable, right? Like that 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 kind of API, like you can't build anything stable on top of it. Um, But if you go and talk to people who are working in the middle of companies that have data warehouses and uh, you know there are flows of data moving around. Almost none of that is tested or documented or stable, and yet somehow we all think that that's normal today. So, uh, you know, I call that collective set of problems pipeline debt. It's like just not doing the things you do to pay down technical debt and the rest of the software I ecosystem.
0: I love that term. That that just nails it. Pipeline debt. There's some cl- a lot of cleanup that you do, but. You just do that for your data, and then forget that that cleanup was necessary. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of debt. People forgetting what they did and what order they did things in.
1: It's kind of the wild west. There, there are a lot of things, it, just good practices in the software world that haven't yet made their way all the way into the data world.
0: Right. So, um, okay. So this pipeline debt. So how does um, how does great expectations help with that?
1: Uh, the same way you pay down technical debt in a lot of other places, uh, by bringing the system under test. So, uh, the, uh, great expectations makes it easy to write rules to validate your data. And those are things like, okay, you've got a table. Uh, I would expect to have columns A, B, and C. And then maybe I'd expect column A to be of type int and B to be of type float and C to be of, uh, of string. And then beyond that, you might say, oh, I also expect that the range of values in A is going to be between 10 and 90. And uh, in column C, it's going to match some regex 90% of the time. And for all of them, maybe, you know, 2% missing values is the most you could have. Okay. It's like a cert on your code, but it's on the data, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And I guess I should have said this. It, the, the library is called Great Expectations because... Each of these assertions, we call it an expectation, right? It's an, it's an assertion about data.
0: Do I have to write down all these expectations for great expectations or can it infer them from like a set of data?
1: So we have what we call data profilers in great expectations. And uh, the idea is exactly what you're saying, that you, you give it a set of trusted data and it can go through and come up with a pretty good first slate of expectations. So, like, if you want to get hypey about it, you can say, Oh, with data, your tests will write themselves. Um, I, I think that's overselling it a little bit because there's always going to be specialized domain knowledge and a kind of just understanding of what's important and what's not that you have to add on. Um, but yes, we, we have made it so that you can infer a lot of the uh, expectations from raw data itself. And there's a
0: whole bunch of cool things that you've put in place within this that I wouldn't have expected to put. Uh, put in things like um, that. You can say um, I expect that all of the data in this, all the all the elements in this column to be uh, to be within this range. However, I know that some of them are going to be outliers, so I I want like you know ninety nine percent to be in this range. Things like that. That's pretty cool.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then you said also you can
1: allow missing data. The open source library has about fifty of these expectations and. We built these up partly just from personal experience and partly from just gathering suggestions from the community over the last couple years. Um, usually when we kind of present on Great Expectations, people look at a few of them and then they start nodding and they say like, oh yeah, I remember all the hassle that I had with daytime formats or you know strings that have leading or trailing white space. They're just these problems that show up over and over again and it's not that we've gotten every single one of them, but we've definitely collected a lot of the common ones and made it easy to write good rules for them.
0: This episode of Test & Code is sponsored by Raygun. Save time with Raygun's crash reporting. Detect, diagnose, and destroy Python errors that are affecting your customers. With smart Python error monitoring software from Raygun, you can be alerted to issues affecting your users the second they happen. Raygun takes you to the exact line of code where the error has occurred and tells you how many times it has happened and exactly who has been affected. Have complete visibility of your app or website, so you discover and fix errors and performance issues before your customers experience them. Raygun supports all major programming languages and platforms and can monitor both back end and front end code. Raygun also fine tuned the filtering mon- and notification control so you can focus on fixing important issues and problems affecting the most users, not be bombarded with redundant notifications. It takes only minutes to set up. Try it yourself by going to raygun.com. That's R-A-Y-G-U-N dot com. Do you know if there's a normal use case? Are people using it within notebooks or are they using it mostly as command line tools, or do you know?
1: Um, that's actually changing right now. So and what I mean is at the beginning of the summer, great expectations was kind of batteries not included. So we had this sent, we had this notion of an expectation. You could deploy that in um, python, or python pandas rather you could deploy it against sql and you could deploy it against spark okay. but we didn't we didn't give any guidance on like how do you deploy it like how do you store your expectations if something breaks in the pipeline and you know expectations start returning false what do you do in that case all of that was just an exercise for the reader okay um, and part of what we've done is we've started uh, kind of morphing over and for, for focusing on this more full-time is uh, we've talked to a whole bunch of teams that have deployed uh, data validation tools, including Great Expectations, and they all build kind of the same thing in their first couple months. And uh, like th- that's now what we're building out in Great Expectations. So um, it, just to give a lo- little bit more color on that, there are two main modes. One mode that you see is uh, teams that are using uh, DAG or DAG is the wrong is DAG jargon that most Python users know. I'm guessing it's not. When you say DAG, I think directed at acyclic graph. Yeah, most data pipelines are now orchestrated as DAGs of one kind or another, and it's the idea that you have this like upstream to downstream flow of data through okay. the system. Um, so like Airflow is the kind of most famous tool for orchestrating this, and there's starting to be some others that are popping up as well. So anyway, one one way of deploying great expectations is in a dag manager like that, you can put in nodes that will check data. So after you do some transformation or run a machine learning model or ingest data, uh, after a step like that, you can then verify the correctness of the data by inserting a couple lines of code from great expectations in. Oh, okay. So, so that so that's one mode. The other mode that we see is some teams don't have a good dag orchestration tool like that. Or or sometimes the team that cares about data quality isn't the one that does the orchestration, so they they have a hard time deploying a tool like that. And in that case, often what people will do is they'll point great expectations directly at a database and say, you know, query tables X, Y, and Z every night and generate a report based on that.
0: Is the interactive notebook thing something you're going to keep or is that something that you're going to let go of?
1: Oh, so that's totally there still. Um, And a lot of people, when they're creating their expectations... They'll use notebooks to dive in and kind of explore their data and write expectations at the same time. Um, But the place where great expectations tends to be most useful in the long term is almost like a monitoring tool, where you're deploying advanced production data and saying, "Look, you know, last week I used this notebook to check and verify that this data looked, you know, followed such and such rules. Now every week when new data flows through my pipeline, I want to verify that it still looks the same, that it that it hasn't changed from what I thought before."
0: Okay, I get the 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 report one that says I'm going to look at a database a table in a database and tell you whether or not it still it passes. Um how in the in the DAG model where it's part of the pipeline, what hap- what does it do when it comes up with failures? Does it send it to a reporting system or what happens?
1: Yeah, same thing. That, actually it's it's the same but you can do more um in the sense that because the data hasn't yet um, been stored anywhere or, or flowed downstream. Sometimes you you want to you you want to generate that report and have like be able to dig in and see what went wrong. Um, but often, if you're in Airflow or something like it, you also want to stop propagation of bad data because okay. right. Rolling back corrupted data from a system is t- usually ten times harder than putting it in the first place.
0: So people are using this as a stopgap to say, "Don't go further if it doesn't pass here." Yeah. Yes. Okay. That's interesting. Wow. Uh, I imagine this is useful everywhere. Do you know what kind of of people are using this?
1: Uh, So if you jump in our public Slack channel, you will see all kinds of data people. Uh, We've got people from startups. We've got people from big insurance companies, data consultants, hedge funds. I mean, it's all over the place. I I think the common thing is almost everybody is a Python SQL Git user, like some mix of those three things. And everybody's in a place where they're not the only data person on their team. So collaborating and kind of sharing knowledge about how it all works uh, is, is starting to be important.
0: Uh, one of the things that surprised me is with the interactive model, the ability to accumulate data configuration. of You can just kind of play around with your data frame and uh, do expectations against it. And the ones that pass get collected into a set of passing expectations and then you can save that and, and use it later. Mm-hmm. The other thing I really like was this ability to say some percentage of the data should pass. Mm-hmm. In the interactive mode, it still tells you what data doesn't. That's pretty cool. Yeah,
1: I mean, one, one of the things that we're trying to do is we're trying to do not full automation of any of this, but we're trying to do sort of automated assists for the processes that people are going through already. So like when you're trying to figure like it's actually kind of hard to sit down and write a good test.
0: Right. It's very hard.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You have to turn your brain inside out a little bit. Yeah. And so what what we're trying to do with great expectations, and especially that iterative notebook mode that you're talking about, is we'll just put something on paper. It'll respond and tell you if it's true or false. And if it's false, then it'll give you some hints about how you might want to change it. Yeah. It's probably worth calling out one big difference between the data world and testing in the data world and testing in um, kind of normal Software engineering. Okay. And that is when you're testing in software engineering, you usually want to test, you want to test when things change, right? And in software, it's usually when you commit new code, or when you compile and deploy new code. So you'll see CI tools and like you run tests on commit or on push. Um, in the data world, there's this like interesting hybrid where, yes, you change your pipeline code and like, yeah, you want to test then but actually the thing that changes a lot more frequently is the flow of data through the system um, and ah, so yeah. in order in order to test when things are changing you, you have to test at what we call batch time so like when new data arrives not just when new code arrives
0: okay so the, the, is there two different modes that you're working in do do you use um use great you use the great expectations tool within a pipeline where you're where you're developing the pipeline or making changes to it,
1: do you put dummy data in then or something? You've gone exactly to the thing that makes it a little bit tricky. Um, the, The thing that we see most people do first is they deploy it as kind of a, like a pipeline testing tool, kind of a monitoring tool that observes when data changes. And then as teams get more sophisticated about it, Sometimes they go through and like, well, eventually they'll start to build out tests for when the pipeline itself changes. But, but just like you said, in order to do that, you need dummy data or snapshot data to, to do that. And um, there's actually a whole separate set of questions around like, okay, how do I build up a good library of positive and negative samples of snapshot data?
0: You've brought up things like Airflow and other tools. Are these cloud-based things or are they, are they usually local?
1: or It is all over the place. Most of them are moving to the cloud now. And in the open source world, most people have pretty good control of the flow of their data from place to place. If you get into kind of more enterprisey world, there, there are some closed ecosystems, so like tools that don't talk very well to other tools that they make it hard to plug in other things.
0: Great expectations. You can use this even just in closed environments, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, anywhere you can pip install something, you can run great expectations, right? So, so if you want to run it on your laptop, totally. If you want to deploy it to production, right you dockerize it and put it on put it on a box in the cloud
0: there must be a lot of excitement around it there's a whole bunch of features that I didn't expect so that's gonna be my next question is there some cool feature that you know of and that people don't expect
1: when they start learning it so one of the things that we built over the summer and it, it's still I'd say in beta like it's still definitely got rough edges um, but we're getting really good response on is a feature that we call compile to docs uh, so so here's here's the setup um, we, we talked earlier about how we're trying to solve this problem of pipeline debt. Uh, some of that debt is because of lack of tests, but you also have a lot of debt because of uh, lack of documentation. And, you know, people throughout an organization are always coming to the data team and asking them, Hey, can you explain how this data works? Can you like maybe even produce some docs on it? And, uh, the, like I'm guilty of this too. Very, very few data teams have good data documentation because it is just so hard to produce and keep up to date because the data is always changing. Different stakeholders in the org want different versions of the documentation. And okay. so keeping on top of that's a huge pain.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so anyway, the, the, the cool thing that we can do with, uh, with this notion of an expectation is it's not just a JSON blob that can be run as a test. Um, because they're all declarative because they like like describe exactly what they're doing we can compile those into human readable documentation and so the the kind of promise there is uh, and, and when i see human readable documentation it's like typically a static website you could embed it in something else and it you know it'll describe in bullet points or graphs or tables like here is exactly what your data should look like that's actually pretty awesome yeah it it it's really fun cuz like the the thing is If you could keep your data docs up to date for free, you would totally do it, but the maintenance cost is usually such a burden. And in this world, if you're auto-generating your docs from your tests, then you know that as long as you're running tests, your docs are up to date, because they're actually validated against the data last night. So the way we're saying it is your your tests are your docs, and your docs are your tests, and as long as you're running tests, your docs will never go stale.
0: Yeah, that's pretty cool. More eyes looking at it to say, you know that shouldn't be a requirement
1: for the data at this level, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and especially because you can put it in English. There are an awful lot of people in most companies who need to understand how the data works, but they're never going to read a JSON blob, and they're going to have a really hard time parsing Python or SQL. Um, and so, if you can have you know a thing that is code, like compiles to real tests and can be executed, but also uh, is human readable for those non-engineer data stakeholders it really opens up a lot of doors.
0: Okay. Now we're working on it. I think everybody should be able to read JSON and Python and uh, and SQL, but, you know, we're not going to win that battle.
1: Um, Maybe in a generation or two.
0: <laughs> I know that there's some fun things in store for this tool. So tell me what, what's on the horizon.
1: So I think the main thing that we're working on now is, getting the first hour and the first day to just really be smooth and clean. Um, Like I said, we built out a whole bunch of new stuff over the summer and we've seen enough teams doing similar things that we're, we're confident that those are the right things to build. Um, But I don't think like if you go and download it today uh, and like dive into our docs today, I don't feel like our onboarding experience is like super clean or intuitive yet so, so that's stage one. It's just like make it easier to learn how to use the tool. Okay. Beyond that, there's a lot we can do to kind of flesh out this notion of compiling to documentation. Uh, and, and also going back even a little earlier, this notion of automatically profiling data. There's a lot we can do to make those smarter. Like right now, they do a decent first cut, but um, we know that there's more to do and uh, we're definitely interested in pushing harder on those roads
0: the expectations are saved as uh, json files is that correct
1: that's right yeah one of our core requirements is they all have to be serializable to something that embodies the code but doesn't but what well, but is a serializable format and isn't like a pickled object or something like that
0: yeah so that people can review it and edit it and that's nice oh, and, and
1: you can build viewers on top that know how to consume those objects and things like that
0: Well, this is exciting. I think that that you're going in the right direction. I think the idea of making the onboarding experience uh, great, I think that'll be really cool.
1: Yeah, it's coming together. I mean, we've got a lot of really good people in the community giving us good feedback and telling us where we're right and where we're wrong. So, yeah, just give us a little bit of time and it'll polish up nicely.
0: Data science and decisions based on these data pipelines is becoming more and more a part of all of our lives, whether we work with it or not. So making sure that actual quality decisions are being made uh, because we're making sure that the data pipelines are clean. This is a really great thing for you guys to be passionate about, and I'm grateful for you to be here. Yeah,
1: thank you. and I, I totally agree. It, it's a fun problem to be working on.
0: Do you use uh, other traditional software testing projects
1: also to test the rest of the software? So we use PyTest pretty extensively within Great Expectations. So we're, we're testing our tests, and they're actually tests of the tests of the tests. <laughs> um, just you know, to do all the rushing nesting dolls there. Good job on picking PyTest. It's my favorite test framework, so it's good. Mm -hmm. We we were in unit test for a while, and PyTest was just a little bit more flexible in some ways that we wanted.
0: Yeah, I think it's a good choice. Well, uh, thanks a ton for uh, coming on. Uh, If people want to learn more, how do they find out?
1: Um, Go to our Slack channel. So if you go to greatexpectations.io, well, that's actually a good place to start, but greatexpectations.io slash Slack. Uh, we've we've got a public channel. We try and be super responsive there.
0: I encourage everybody that's working with data to check this out. It's a really cool tool. And uh, thank you, Abe, for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks so much, Brian. Thanks, Abe, for working in this problem space and for this great interview. Thank you to Patreon supporters for continuing to support the show. Join them by going to testandcode.com support. Thank you to Raygun for sponsoring this episode. Take charge of your app and web monitoring with Raygun. Find out more at raygun.com. That link is also in the show notes at testandcode.com/95, as well as a link to Great Expectations. That's all for now. Now go out and test something.